0: What's up, everyone? This is Clawing Through History, presented by Bruins Diehards. I'm your host, Christian Renzi. And I'm RJ DeMello. And on today's episode, we look back at the Joe Thornton trade. How's it going, everyone? Uh, I'm back here uh, with my host, RJ DeMello. RJ, how's it going out there on the West Coast?
1: Hey there, everybody. Well, uh, you know, we got 0.03 inches of rain the other day, so we are living it up, let me tell you.
0: So since we started doing this podcast uh, five episodes ago, you've gotten 0.3 inches of rain, essentially.
1: Yes. Yeah, that was the first time there was measurable rainfall in like 50 days. It's
0: crazy. I mean, we talk about rain on this podcast every episode. We got it again here today.
1: Just (laughs) keep trying to send some my way. The .03 inches was great, but could use a little bit more. So, you know, please everybody send your rain this way.
0: And the air right now here is like, you know, those really sticky... New England summer days.
1: Yeah, those really, really nice and sticky days that you just love to be in.
0: It's my my least favorite weather, I think, of all weather, is humidity. Yeah.
1: No, that's just what out here is good for. That's one thing, you know, you pay for it because there's no rain, but also there's no humidity out here. And so uh, it's a beautiful thing. And like you wake up in the morning and it's actually cool. When you go to bed at night, it's cooled off, you know, like it's uh It's a weird phenomenon,
0: so do you need a air conditioner?
1: Yes, because now well, I'll put it this way um as of recently, yes, because high temperatures during the day are now higher uh mm-hmm. most people like didn't before in Portland, and now more and more more and more people are getting it because like for example. Three days this week, it's going to be like a high of over 100
0: degrees. Oh, gross. Now, at night,
1: it's it gets down to like 70. It, you know, like it cools off. You wake up in the morning and you're, you know, almost feel chilly. But yeah, for like – and it's weird because it's like it's different than New England, I feel like. So the hottest time of the day is like four, 3 or 4 p.m. to like 8 p.m.
0: Yeah, I mean here it's probably what, like – Twelve to three feels like the hottest yeah. time
1: of the day. Yeah, exactly. Like at four or five it starts to cool down. But out yeah. here it's like no, it's eight PM and you're like,
0: nope, it hasn't cooled down yet. That's so weird. Well the sun sets later out there, right?
1: Yes, yeah. Exactly. So during the summer, yeah, you're you know you're the sun is setting at well now it's before nine, but it was like nine thirty, nine forty five. And so yeah, it's gonna stay hot that late, but
0: yeah. jealous. Well, that's today's weather segment on Clawing Through History. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Moving on to our uh, world-famous segment, What Are You Drinking? RJ, what are you drinking?
1: mm, Great segment. Um, Let's see. Today, I am drinking a beer called Suicide Squeeze. So it's a hockey podcast, but with some baseball, uh, you know, analogies here. From Fort George Brewing, which is up in Astoria, Oregon. Huh. Astoria, made famous by uh, being the setting for uh, the Goonies. What, what what are you drinking, Christian?
0: All right, I am drinking uh, one of Rhode Island's best breweries, Tilted Barn, the Summit American Pale Ale. Summit was one of their dogs uh, who lived on the farm. Great little place. Uh, they just built a new facility that opened this past year. It's now massive. They grow their own hops on site. In the winter, they grow Christmas trees. Really great place to hang out. So, next time you're home, RJ, let's hit it up.
1: To the barn we go. Yes. I'm down.
0: So, do you want to hear tonight's topic? Yes. I said it off the top. Give it to me. We're going to talk the Joe Thornton trade.
1: Jumbo Joe, okay.
0: Jumbo Joe Thornton, who has been in the league since 1997, one of the oldest active players, crazy beard, uh, a a few years ago, when he signed his extension with San Jose, he was on his ride-on lawnmower when they brought him the contract, and he signed the contract on his ride-on lawnmower.
1: Uh, that's on brand, if you ask me, from from what I know.
0: Yeah, I've heard stories. He's, he's a hard-nosed player. I also hear that if you do something wrong, if you're his teammate, I've heard that he is not afraid to give you shit for it. <laughs> But all-around great player. We've mentioned him a bunch of times in the first five episodes. uh, Future Hall of Famer and former Bruins captain. What could have been, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, this was a monumentous trade when it happened from, at least in in my opinion and what I remember.
0: Yeah, I actually remember waking up that morning and hearing it on the local news, NBC10. Who was that anchor? Frank Coletta? Frank Coletta, that's it. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> Frank Coletta broke the news for me. Uh, <laughs> I was a young boy. Uh, hey, you know,
1: shout out to Frank Coletta. I know he's an avid listener of the podcast.
0: Big friend of the pod. Uh, he's now retired from the news, but yeah, he was on the news for a long time. But he broke the Joe Thornton trade for me. But it's funny that we're doing this podcast uh, on the 33rd anniversary of the Wayne Gretzky trade from Edmonton to Los Angeles. That is today, 33 years ago.
1: Ah, August 9th, huh? dating the re- recording here. but
0: Yep, August 9th, um, Gretzky is traded. The trade heard around the world. Not a Bruins thing, but still worth mentioning. You know, I think that Gretzky's trade, without that happening, I don't think hockey would have spread quite as far in the United States because he went to Los Angeles and suddenly he was in like a major U.S. market in a warm weather city and more people were caring about hockey.
1: Sure, And surely that's why they did it, right? Like, with these leagues being the entities that they are, you see it in, uh, you've seen it in, like, Major League Soccer, right? Like, they had an occasion I know of where they, for, the league forced a trade to basically get a young, up-and-coming star more playing time. In, you know, like, I, I think, uh, I'm sure the NHL thought, And it might even just be very well publicized and I don't know it, but I'm sure that was all part of the plan, right? was let's get him to LA and get this large market a little bit more into this sport.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting too, because back then, um, I mean, every team didn't play each other. So if you're a Bruins fan, you didn't see Gretzky every year, especially playing in, in Edmonton, which is like the opposite end, different country from Boston. Now we get to see, uh, see every player at least twice. So pretty crazy. Not a lot of people thought that trade would happen.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I um, think it shows you a bit how we value individuals so much, but at the end of the day, these things are team sports because he did not win it with L.A.
0: No. After Edmonton, he didn't win another Stanley Cup. Pretty interesting. <laughs> but remember 2005?
1: Man, fallout boy. Yeah, absolutely.
0: <laughs> well, it's 2005 again. The number one song on the charts is We Belong Together by Mariah Carey.
1: Oh, classic.
0: The best picture winner that year is Clint Eastwood's Million Dollar Baby.
1: <sighs> Fun fact, my dad won't like to hear this. He definitely cried during that movie. Sorry, Bob, <laughs> had to shout you out.
0: You know, he might be on the podcast in the future, so...
1: <laughs> we'll don't get burn him on. the bridge with your dad he's got some stories yeah yeah he might just ask to only be interviewed by you though
0: <laughs> i've actually never seen the movie but i have heard that people do cry at it
1: <laughs> yeah yeah
0: and what else is interesting about 2005 especially the fall of 2005 is the nhl is back after being off for an entire year so the lockout was in 04 and 05
1: mm-hmm.
0: that i remember that so clearly because when the nhl came back a lot of things were a little different. Suddenly teams were wearing dark jerseys at home. The equipment was smaller. The red line was gone. Like, it was a lot of big things. All good things, I think. Getting rid of the red line, that two-line offside pass, I'm glad that's gone.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's right.
0: I mean, it's still on the ice. <laughs> <And> yeah, <it's... laughs> that's why I was
1: confused for a second. I was like, it's still painted there. What are you talking
0: about? Wait, have you not noticed there's no red line at all? <laughs> <laughs> No, but they got rid of the two-line offside pass, so now you can do those crazy stretch passes that are so common now. It just you know, like uh, up.
1: Krug used to throw it off the boards, and Pasta would be streaking in.
0: Didn't Seidenberg used to do that too, where he'd fire it down the other end, or he'd fi- no, mm-hmm. he would fire it from center ice and score.
1: Because he's a wonderfully crazy German that would just go for it, you know. Love yeah, that
0: guy. one of my favorite Seidenberg memories is Jack Edwards doing the uh, German accent. And calling it like a soccer move. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, it's 2005. So one night in the fall of 2005, Joe Thornton was dining out to dinner. Dining out to dinner? What a stupid sentence. Was out to dinner with his future wife and parents when he received a pretty shocking phone call. So at this point, it's it's late November. So Thornton has started playing for Boston again. The NHL had just resumed play after missing an entire year to, due to the lockout. So the lockout was kind of weird because it, it if there's ever momentum between seasons, the lockout completely destroyed that. So prior to the lockout, things were looking up for the Boston Bruins. Uh, they had finished the 2003-2004 season at the top of their division, and their young goalie, Andrew Raycroft, had won the Calder Trophy. No way.
1: (laughs) Nice plates. All right.
0: Uh, Raycroft. I remember Raycroft playing in Providence, and I remember him playing in Boston. That was my childhood goalie. Yeah. So following the lockout, though, things changed for the Bruins. In the first 16 games of the 05-06 season, they had a record of 7-5-4. And then to make matters worse... They had a terrible November that year. They lost 9 of 10 games. Ugh. I kind of remember this clearly, how the early, mid-2000s Bruins became pretty mediocre.
1: Who who was the coach?
0: Mike Sullivan was the coach of the Boston Bruins. He uh, also coached in Providence, I believe, prior to that, and now, like I said, is known for winning two Stanley Cups in a row with Pittsburgh. So... The poor start gave Bruins GM Mike O'Connell, who I think we mentioned maybe last week when we talked drafting for the Bruins, it gave him the excuse to pull off a trade that he had been trying to execute since right after the 2004 postseason. So O'Connell had this sort and trade in his head before this season started. Uh, Now, I don't have any sort of like TV stats or anything on this, but... I don't know if you remember the Bruins in this time were they weren't talked about much in Boston. They were definitely the fourth most popular team. Yeah. yeah. They hadn't won a cup in a while. They were kind of middle of the road. So it really took that. Well, they do say that the franchise came back into popularity after like 08 when they started getting really good again. But this time things are at an all time low. So when the phone rang, Joe Thorne answers his phone and he received news that would change his life forever. Mike O'Connell informed him that he'd been traded to the San Jose Sharks. They were an expansion team that played over 3,000 miles from where he had just bought a new house and a place he considered home. So, I mean, I've been to San Jose once. I flew out of San Jose, didn't really see it, but it's a, a much different city than Boston, I can tell you that.
1: Yeah. It's, it's always, like, boggled my mind that teams that they they can do that so without the will or care of the player. But even like – I don't know. It, it's even different to me being like the captain and the star player. Like, I To me, it just feels like you, you talk to somebody about this stuff. I don't know. It, yeah. it seems pretty wild that you can just get a phone call and be like, hey, by the way, Christian, you got to go work across the country now. We uh, Right. You
0: know? Yeah, I mean he, he deserves better is basically what you're saying, right? I mean, they, yeah. they should probably give him some sort of heads up. We've, we've kind of seen this in recent years, with uh, especially in the last few weeks, actually, with Vegas. They traded Marc-Andre Fleury to Chicago, mm-hmm. and from what they reported, Fleury found out through Twitter and not from his GM. And I feel like that treating your players that way is going to catch up to you as a franchise. Mm-hmm. That, that's just my feeling. Yeah. Especially a guy like Fleury, who is... At this point, been around forever. He's won a few Stanley Cups, like he, like Thornton. He deserves better. But in an era that predated social media, when Thornton was traded, it was easier to keep trade rumors quiet. You don't have those guys on Twitter at that point, you know, saying uh, rumor is that Thornton's getting traded.
1: He changed his MySpace top friends, and they're like, "Wait a minute, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's yeah. on
0: the move." O'Connell, yeah, went to his MySpace, <laughs> or uh, Bob McKenzie had a MySpace back then. <laughs> <laughs> So O'Connell actually had successfully kept Thornton and the Bruins players in the dark about the trade. So none of the players knew. Thornton had no idea. But like I said earlier, they'd actually started thinking about trading Thornton at the end of the 2004 playoffs. So the Bruins came into that postseason as the number two seed. Uh, In the first round, they found themselves up against the seventh seed Montreal Canadiens. And I do remember this series. It's actually a playoff series I remember very well. Uh, they were up three games to one, leading Montreal. We're like, okay, they're definitely going to win this series. And it looked as if they'd be moving on to the second round for the first time since 1999. But uh, they blew it.
1: I, I think I went to a game in that series.
0: Do you remember which one?
1: I... Want to say game? It was game one at home. Yep. Yeah, we were, we were the
0: higher seed. We were the higher seed. We were number two. I think seed. I went
1: to game one of that series. No way. I went with a buddy of mine and my dad, and I remember I was in like the eighth grade, dating myself here, but I would like eighth grade. I was there, like oh three oh four in eighth grade. So like yep. yeah, it would have been it would have been that one. Yeah. But uh we got like three separate tickets in the arena. And went up, my dad, my buddy and I, and then we like picked one and we sat the three of us together and we're like, we'll sit here until somebody comes for their seat and like we'll eventually like, you know, sit in our seats apart from each other. The the two seats next to it never showed up. We sat the three of us together the entire game uh, and witnessed a, a win. But uh, yeah, the series didn't turn out well for
0: us. So that means you were at either game one or game two, I believe. Uh, it's it's funny because we were just talking about how the popularity of the Bruins was at an all time low at that time, and there were empty seats at a playoff game. That's never good.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was definitely a packed house, but clearly not completely packed because yeah, we were able to sit next to each other, even though like one seat was over there, one seat was over there type thing.
0: That's really funny. You should ask your dad if he remembers.
1: Oh, he remembers, but he won't remember when exactly it was. Like yeah. I might have the ticket stub somewhere, actually, in my stub. I'll try to look for it. But,
0: but if it's Montreal, uh, we could kind of trace it back. I mean, you're probably right. This is 2004, so game one or two.
1: That, um, this is a complete tangent side story, and you can cut this it. out. But um, that's also the time I really uh, witnessed the Montreal Bruins rivalry in full force. Uh, and that was when I went to the bathroom <laughs> I'm a 14 year old kid or almost fourteen, yeah, going to the bathroom, long line uh, and you get in and you 're in line and there 's like the wall of urinals, and there, and there 's a line behind it Though all the urinals are full, whatever people are washing their hands and i 'm probably like ten back from a lot from being able to go, and the next person gets to step up and they 're wearing a Canadian 's jersey. The entire bathroom proceeds to boo this person as they try to pee. It just, boo. <laughs> like, it's like I, I, I wanted to leave, let alone the person that they're booing as he's trying to go to the bathroom. You're describing my
0: worst nightmare in a bathroom. Yeah, I
1: would have immediately just been like, yep, you're right, sorry, and walked out. Like, nope, don't need it.
0: I guarantee you, next time that guy went to the bathroom, he went without his jersey on. <laughs> yeah.
1: Or just like going going to the stall, you know where there's uh, doors or something. But no,
0: right? Oh, yeah, I
1: mean, they the... booed a guy trying to just go to the bathroom. So you know uh, that that burned into my memory after that one.
0: The the bathroom at a hockey game, especially a playoff game after the first period, when everyone's been drinking, it's it's a terrible place.
1: It's war zone.
0: Yeah, it's awful. In fact, Bruins fans fight other Bruins fans most of the time. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh kids enjoy responsibly come on
0: so getting back to this series the Bruins blow it in seven games Thornton hadn't produced offensively in that series and a lot of median fans uh, were putting the blame for the series loss on him yeah which in Boston happens every year they do yep. this on the radio yeah but here's the...
1: you know blow it
0: that's up, man. another episode for another day let me tell you <laughs> But here's the thing. Uh, he he was playing with broken ribs. So oh. in, in my mind, it's unfair to blame him for the loss, especially when you consider that his injury. But it's Boston and the hot takes are what makes the city tick. In fact, I think we should kind of, uh, we should be praising Thornton for playing with a broken rib as opposed to condemning him, in my mind.
1: Remember when we looked at Bergeron like he was a, a god after he played with that broken rib punctured lung thing? Like-
0: right. I guess the difference is, though, Bergeron did produce in those uh, in those games. <laughs> and people can't... You can't hate on Bergeron. It's impossible.
1: No, I never will. He's my favorite Bruin, and if he leaves, that'll be a very, very sad day. So,
0: But you're right. It's unfair to, to blame Thornton for this. So there was this feeling that ownership actually wasn't a huge fan of Thornton personally. We heard that with the Tyler Sagan trade as well. Mm -hmm. and this series loss and the poor start to the next season gave the opportunity gave them the opportunity they were looking for meanwhile in san jose they were having struggles of their own during that time this is a quote from doug wilson who was gm of the sharks we well we had lost like nine games in a row at that time so like boston they were doing terrible They were already in talks with Boston and Wilson felt that Doug Wilson felt they had to do something to shake up the team in San Jose. So on November 30th, 2005, the deal went through. Joe Thornton was traded to the San Jose Sharks in exchange for Brad Stewart, Marco Sturm, and Wayne Premiu. If you look just at this trade and ignore all their factors, like the Bruins winning the Stanley Cup six years later, it looks completely lopsided in favor of the Sharks. Mm Mm-hmm. Stewart and Premu had a short stay in Boston. By the 2006-2007 season, they'd be traded to Calgary in exchange for Chuck Kobasu. Do you remember him?
1: Wow, yeah.
0: And a name you might be familiar with, Andrew Ference. Sturm, on the other hand, he had a bit more success with the Bruins. Mm-hmm. Um, he led the Bruins in scoring twice in three years before being traded to the Kings in December of 2010. So in the first year of Thornton's trade, he managed to win the Hart Trophy as the league's best player. Which really made the trade look bad for Boston. So that was the same year that he was traded. That doesn't happen too often where that player wins MVP. So you can imagine the takes on the radio. Uh. And 15 years later, Thornton is still in the league. Uh, His play is not the same, obviously. He's in his 40s, but he's still a Hall of Famer. But I'm not done yet. The question is... Was this actually the right move for the Bruins at the time? Mm-hmm. Before I go on, RJ, do you think it was the right move for the Bruins at the time?
1: Um, hindsight's twenty twenty, so yeah, the fact that we won in twenty eleven, it's like, well, I guess it was the right move in some fashion, but I don't know. You know, like uh, who do like who did Marco Stern get traded for in that season? Did they make a key contribution in those playoffs that was win the Stanley Cup? Who did that open up cap room for us to sign? That Those are the questions I have.
0: Well, it's good that you mentioned that because I'm going to go into what happened. So it, there's no question the Bruins were in need of a rebuild. And uh, this was a big move that sparked it, whether it was right or wrong. So if nothing else, the trade gave the Bruins cap space. And with that cap space, they managed to sign Mark Savard and Zdeno Chara. So that completely changed the franchise. Mm-hmm. I think for another podcast, we'll talk about Mark Savard and what could have been with him. Uh, pretty tragic how his career ended, but he was a legit, yep. really good player.
1: Yeah, it was very sad. And, and, and for a while, I remember us being worried that Berge was just going to go down that route because he had some concussions. And it was yeah. kind of like we had just seen that happen, or witnessing that happen, uh, and so worried that he would follow suit. But he's been able to thankfully avoid those, but...
0: It's actually pretty amazing because he's had, like you said, a ton of concussions and he's still playing at this elite level and he's in his mid thirties at this point. Like, I don't know how he's doing it. He's drinking from that fountain of youth that Tom Brady drinks from. For Michael Connell, the biggest reason why the trade was a good thing is he later said this, I think it's clear now, but I remember thinking even then when you make a trade in a cap system, sure, it's about what you can get back. But as you see now, it's a lot of what you can free up too. Which is easy to say now in hindsight.
1: (laughs) Clearly I was right. Look at that Stanley Cup and Zdeno Charo.
0: Yeah, like imagine if he made that trade and, you know, that return that wasn't that great came back. And he's like, guys, cap space. You should all feel better about this.
1: Yeah. But, you know, it's interesting because it's, yeah, if you're a good GM, he was considering that and thinking, who's going to be a free agent this coming free agent period and can we get them? You know, yeah
0: but i don't think it's a smart way to manage a team. It's thinking about cap space and just trading away a hall of famer and a franchise player.
1: Well, no, you got to, man. I guess. If you can play games with the cap like it is and that's the way I, they all think too. Like even right now the Celtics are in a way playing for like free agency next free agency because you like it's a it's a tough calculus. I mean, the only way you could not was if you designed every deal you ever signed a player to. If every deal you signed already considered salary cap and so you like never had to worry about it because you, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. But yeah, you get to a point where that's a large consideration and if you are able to afford two really quality players that can be a backbone.
0: The thing is though at this time when O'Connell traded Thornton in November, he had no way of knowing that they'd be able to sign Char and Savard in the off season.
1: Well, he must be, like, that's what I, he, if he was doing his job well and right, he must have knew the free agent class coming up and saying, okay, with this money, we can target those guys. You don't know yeah. you're going to get them, um, but you can go after them that's and point. aggressively. So... It's you got to know whose contract's expiring when. And I guess hope they don't re-sign one before the period. But
0: Right. So after O'Connell's quote, he's essentially saying that the immediate return for Thornton, those three players from the Sharks, were not great. He was saying this later on. He didn't say it at the time. But the biggest thing was, right, that cap space, and that justifies the trade. And I think that's, like you said, now that's how we can justify it. At the time, you do hope when you trade a player like that, you're going to get some great return. Same way with, with Sagan. I mean, the return. And Louis Erickson wasn't a bad player by any means at that time. He,
1: no, yeah, he's a good player.
0: Now he's not a good player. But, you know, at that time he was. And then he got hurt. But, yeah, hindsight, 2020. That's to a be a
1: clear, Christian, they're all good players because they're all playing in the NHL. So uh, That's
0: true. That's true.
1: They would all whoop everybody's ass. The worst player in the NHL would dangle any person listening to this. Right. Just to be clear.
0: Louis, please come on the podcast. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So with that cap space, you got Zidaneo Char, and with Char has come a decade of strong Bruins teams. But if we go back to the trade tree, which I love to do, which I did in the first episode, there are other factors that maybe also justify the trade.
1: We're going to Christian's trade tree house. Come on now.
0: We need a song for that. To the trade tree house. (laughs) So like I said earlier, Brad, Stewart, and Wayne Primu. They were traded, which sent Chuck and Andrew Ferrens to Boston. We all know about Andrew Ferrens. He had a nice little stint here. Uh, he helped us win a cup in 2011, and he had the great glove malfunction in Montreal in 2011, Yeah, <laughs> where he flipped off the crowd. Great moment. Maybe
1: the guy that the Bruins fans booed was there and was on the receiving end of Andrew Ference's, and then he just has really bad luck with Bruins.
0: It was just that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but Kobasu actually helped him down the line a little later on with another trade. So okay. In, in 2009, he was sent to Minnesota in exchange for a 2011 second-round pick and Craig Weller. Craig Weller, Byron Bits, and a second-round pick in 2010 were then sent to Florida for Matt Barkowski. Remember him?
1: <laughs> wow, yeah.
0: And another person who was essential in our cup run. Can you take a guess? Florida Panthers 09. Um Defense, Defenseman or forward? Defenseman.
1: Uh I know we traded for caberlet
0: Not him. He came, I think, at the trade deadline that year. Okay. We just talked about talked about him at the top of the podcast. He's German. <laughs> Seidenberg. <laughs> Dennis Seidenberg. I, yes.
1: I guess I thought he was already with the team. Like.
0: Nope. He came over in a trade which involved Craig Weller, whoever that is, Byron Bitz, and a second-round pick in
1: 2010,
0: Wow! which Matt Barkowski and Dennis Seidenberg. Seidenberg, obviously, would be a key defenseman in the 2011 Cup run. I think him and Chara were my favorite defensive pair of all time. Yeah. So the trade is way easier to justify now because Boston won a Stanley Cup, but what if Montreal had scored in overtime and gained seven in 2011? The Bruins are bounced in the first round after an embarrassing reverse sweep the year before against the Flyers. Do they fire Claude Julian? Did they blow up the team again? Are we even more mad about the Thornton trade? What happens? We're 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 one goal away from being extremely mad. All of these the facts.
1: Of the game. Yep.
0: But there's more. Oh, okay. Here's the other interesting side of the Thornton trade. Bruins GM Michael Connell was fired the same season Thornton was traded. So there are a number of factors that went to his firing, but the Thornton trade had to be one of them. Right. And this is something we talked about last week. Following his firing, assistant GM Jeff Gorton took over. So now I'm going to talk about the butterfly effect. Okay. All of these, all of these little things, uh, the Thornton trade kind of sparked them in a way. I don't know if that's a reach, but I'm going to I'm going to go with it. So, once Jeff Gorton is hired as interim GM, he changed the franchise forever. Because, like we talked about last week, the 06 draft was winner winner chicken dinner for the Boston Bruins. So, for the 5th overall pick Boston selected Phil Kessel. They also selected Milan Lucic 50th overall and Brad Marchand, 71st overall. Although Kessel be traded before the Bruins' Cup win in 2011, his trade on September 18, 2009 would send him to Toronto in exchange for a 2010 first-round pick, who would become Tyler Sagan, a 2010 second-round pick, Jared Knight, and a 2011 first-round pick, Dougie Hamilton. And none of that could have been accomplished without Mike O'Connell being fired and Jeff Gordon taking over for the 2006 draft. In my mind, one of the main reasons that O'Connell was fired is because of the botched Thornton trade, which, I mean, this might be a stretch, but it led to them drafting Lucic, Marsh, and Kessel and then eventually getting Hamilton.
1: And Sagan, you know, I just, I got to give a quick shout out and thanks to Joe Thornton for being the uh, sort of sacrifice to the, to, the, to the hockey gods that then led down this uh, rabbit hole you speak of to Boston Bruins' success, you know?
0: Right. And I believe they said at the time of the Thornton trade they wanted to build a team around Patrice Bergeron, which was the right call in my mind.
1: Yes. If, especially if Bergeron plays like five more years, uh, then I don't think there can be a doubt about that. Uh, you know, I say that because if he retired right now, you have the debate of like, you know, Thornton's numbers will be greater because he played longer. How do you compare? Whatever, blah, blah. So,
0: yeah. I mean, it's tough because Bergeron is a, a defensive forward, but he's won four Selkie trophies and he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. But yeah, maybe Thornton's numbers are better. But in the end, the Bruins win a Stanley Cup. They go to three Stanley Cups in a decade. Thornton actually did go to a Stanley Cup with the Sharks, but didn't win, so. But back to Jeff Gordon really quick. Uh, On top of all that, what we just talked about, he also traded Andrew Raycroft to Toronto for Tuca Rask.
1: Yeah, shout out to Jeff. We got to get him on the pod. I feel like that's somebody that's like, most Bruins fans would not know this person's name and could tell some interesting stories about the selections of those guys and why he made the trade and whatnot, and. And yeah, he was only in the job for a few months and like completely reshaped it and then was just like, okay. And now I think they sent, he was then back to assistant GM because they hired Shirelli, right?
0: Yes. So on July 15th, 2006, he reassumed his role as assistant GM when Bruins hired Peter Shirelli. Big mistake. Should have left him as the GM. Because the thing is, we're still seeing the benefits from. His brief time, Jeff Gordon as GM, obviously Brad Marchand is still a dominant player for us. It's just crazy. I, I I think Jeff Gordon now, where is he? He's still at the Rangers?
1: He was at the Rangers until recently.
0: Let's see. Let me just do a quick Google search.
1: He was uh, fired in May.
0: Oh, okay. Former GM of the New York Rangers. Bring him back.
1: <laughs> Born and raised in Melrose.
0: Nice. Yeah. Local boy. We always love that.
1: Bridgewater State grad, let's go.
0: Meanwhile, the Tennessee Sharks and Joe Thornton had a lot of success, uh, just not enough to get them a Stanley Cup win. Their closest shot came in a 2016 Stanley Cup final loss to the Pittsburgh Penguins. So at the time of this writing, Thornton currently sits at 14th in all-time leaders in points. He is 7th in all-time leaders in assists. So could the Bruins have won a Stanley Cup if they kept Thornton? It is possible that maybe we would have finished the 2005-2006 season at a lower spot in the NHL standings and received a higher draft pick. After all, the third overall pick that year was Jonathan Taves. We talked about a lot of this last week. Would the Bruins get out in Taves? I mean, that's a crazy rabbit hole to go down. But I do think O'Connell's point about cap space is valid, like we just said. Uh, The trade wasn't an instant success. But certain things that resulted from that trade certainly got the Bruins their first in the Cup win in 39 years. Uh, but really, it's a lot of what-ifs. Uh, and hopefully before Thornton's career is over, he's able to lift a cup. So that's it. That's the Joe Thornton trade in 2005.
1: So I guess this just is a, an emphasis to try to take a holistic view to how you put together a hockey team. And how look at the trades, but also there's a lot of other stuff going on uh, at the same time to compose a team. And seemingly, again, in hindsight, and because we ended up winning a cup years later, it was in the end the right decision. But at the same time, maybe we win two if Joe Thornton is still a Bruin.
0: Yeah. Who knows? It's Yeah, I mean, it's crazy because, like I said, if if Thornton isn't traded, how much longer does O'Connell serve as general manager? Obviously, the 06 draft would have been totally different. I mean, we don't necessarily know that he would have taken those players. It's just it's impossible to say. But that's it. That's my story this week.
1: Well, then... It's good to go back to it because it's a moment that definitely, you know, stands out and was very big moment. But then you kind of move on past it, and then we win a cup, and then whatever, and you kind of, um, you know, you've moved on from that, right? You uh,
0: yeah, I mean, you
1: forget about it a little bit, you know, and it's good to take a look. And yeah, it's given me a greater appreciation for. For that, you know, looking at things holistically and, and, you know, hopefully the GM had that in mind of like, hey, we'll be able to get these guys in free agency this summer. And if not, you got really lucky. Yeah. 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 Otherwise, it's a bad trade.
0: Right. It's funny. Like you said, like at the time, we're mad about it. But really, Thornton spent way more of his career in San Jose than he did with Boston. So does it really matter now? And it's funny because... Chara signing here it was the best thing that's happened to the franchise maybe ever. So, I mean, for my money, he's the greatest captain in the history of the Bruins franchise, so.
1: Wow. Bold claims. You came at me for saying Ray Bork, best defenseman. Uh, you know, st- especially looking statistically and then now you just drop best captain on this? I, I don't know. Hold on a second. Here,
0: Alright, here's what I think.
1: <laughs> I'm gonna make you... <laughs> defend this
0: <laughs> there's there's three guys that i think are obviously the mount rushmore bruins captains there's chief yeah. johnny Busick. there's ray bork ever heard of him and zidane ochara johnny Busick won a couple cups right i think he won in 1772 ray
1: bork, uh, yeah yeah
0: ray bork won zero stanley cups but he had the best stats yeah Chara won one Stanley Cup, but here's the thing. Chara won the Stanley Cup and also won, uh, I believe, a Norris Trophy, maybe once or twice. And he did it in the hardest era to win a Stanley Cup. He led his team. From what I hear, he's the best lead, like a great leader. I just think that, I don't know. He played in the hardest era and he won one Stanley Cup, went to multiple, and he's still playing at 43 or 44. He's the best captain in history of the Bruins. See, I'm gonna have some older Bruins fans coming at me for this. Yeah,
1: yeah, like the the Dick Clapper fans are gonna be pissed at you right now.
0: <laughs> They're all in the nursing home. They're like ninety years old. <laughs> I remember Dick watching. Clapper
1: was captain from 39 to 47. So
0: watch on Dick Clapper. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what a name! <laughs> oh yeah, great name.
0: Uh, I, I oh wait, know.
1: hold on. Even before that, he was captain in the 30s. Dick Clapper might be the greatest captain of Bruins' captain of all time.
0: It's funny because, like, the best players in history, I mean, aside from Ray Bork, like, Bobby Orr was never captain. I don't think Eddie Shore was ever captain.
1: Nope. So. Nope. Dick Clapper, Jack Crawford, Milt Schmidt, Ed Sanford for a season, Fern Flamen, Fahman.
0: Oh, Milt Schmidt. There's an argument to be made there.
1: Nah. Don McKinney had two seasons We had Leo Boyven for three Johnny Busick was only for five seasons Actually
0: Okay, okay. So that takes Then you have Wayne
1: long. Cashman For six seasons Terry O'Reilly for two And then Rick Middleton and Ray Bork Shared it, it looks like For two seasons And then Ray all the way until 99-2000 Jason Allison had it for a year yeah. Joe Thornton for three And then Zidane Chara.
0: Jason Allison. Now there's a name from a video game from 0 02. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think maybe uh, Milt Schmidt. There's an argument to be made there. There's a whole other podcast about Milt Schmidt because he is a massive figure in Bruins history.
1: Yeah, yeah, so. absolutely.
0: But I'm going to stick by it. I'm going to say Char is the best captain in history.
1: All right. If you disagree with Christian, let us know.
0: Send, your, send us an
1: angry like email or tweet Send your or
0: emails here. to your wrong at gmail.com.
1: No, but Christian, uh what should people do if they have a story idea for us?
0: Well, it's funny you bring that up, RJ. They can email us at clawingthroughhistory at gmail.com. They could tweet at us.
1: Yes, that is at clawing T-H-R-U-H-I-S-T.
0: And <laughs> They could also tweet at me, Christian uh, Renzi on Twitter. Christian M. Renzi is my full name. I don't know if you want them tweeting at your personal account, but they can tweet at my personal account. Yeah,
1: you can do that too. I'm at R underscore J underscore D.
0: So my Twitter has become a full-on Bruins Twitter in the last year because I have nothing else to say. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Well, RJ, thanks for uh, hanging out with me again for another hour i look great to see your face as always great to see your face i look forward to your story next time